1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. On today's show, I talk to the director and star of the new movie Passing. Adapted from Nella Larson's 1929 novella, it's a story of two black women living on opposite sides of the colour line in 1929 New York. The film is the directorial feature debut of Rebecca Hall, who also wrote the script, and we'll hear from her shortly. But first, I spoke to Passing's star, Ruth Nager.
2: Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a
3: girl from Chicago, I used to know.
0: Princess from Chicago.
3: Things aren't always what they seem.
0: Bobby Dan.
1: Ruth, welcome to the show. Um, congratulations on the film. Tell us first how you first became aware of the novel and how you first became involved in the film.
2: Right. Well, um, now I'm I'm kind of second guessing myself because, because now I, I can't really remember if I did read it before I read the screenplay, but I must have done because I've <laughs> well, I
1: have said that. I've definitely the, read an interview in which you said that I you'd did. read it and you were su- yeah, and you were surprised and impressed, but surprised that it hadn't been something that yes, yeah. good. Um,
2: well, because this film now is so you know the experience is oh. So present for me, it's very hard to think of before. Okay, but um, I think it was part of like I don't know literary canon of books that I'd read by you know um, writers of color, American African American writers that I was just I felt sort of witnessed and seen by, including Du Bois, Baldwin, Morrison, Angelou. The doctors um, and I'm just I was just interested in the African American experience, um, okay. both in literature and in history. And when I read this book, I just thought I'm interested in the concept of passing. You know, this idea that you would sort of self-exile mm-hmm. in order to have access, an opportunity to essentially. Your own potential, really, without restrictions um, imposed by society based on your
1: race. Do you, do you, th- is everyone familiar with the concept of passing? Because it's obviously it's a term that I had heard because it's been addressed, you know, in literature movies. But have you found that since the film has come out, did everybody know what it was? Or have there been audiences who didn't know what passing meant?
2: Yes. Audiences, yeah, individuals, they don't know what passing meant because well it's kind of the nature of passing anyway, isn't it? It's secretive it's passing essentially is, um, historically speaking, racial race wise. It's when someone a light skinned, uh in our case African American woman sort of um leaving her community and assimilating, being absorbed into the white community as a White presenting person yeah. for for whatever reasons, usually for survival and safety and whatnot. Um, and because of that, because of the secrecy involved, and it being taboo, um, it's 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 not really it's not really been talked about. Yeah, and I think it's been shrouded in a lot of secrecy and shame. Um, but actually in many of the stories, now I can't speak for all of them, but in the stories that we found, and there haven't been too many because um, a lot of people who pass into the white community don't come back because it's it's actually not safe. Right. Um, they are putting themselves and their families at risk, so there's a lot of hiding going on, so there hasn't been much discussion about it, but also it's actually really um, a very... It's very disruptive and it's it's dangerous. I mean, Claire Kendry, who I play, is actually, in the larger scheme of things, she's a threat to the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the whole, um, you know, race as a construct was invented, to keep a whole group of people subordinate mm-hmm. and in their place um, to serve the. Wider societies need for power and money, so um, the racial constraints that were imposed in society were there to protect protect the white status quo and their money essentially, yeah. and like the idea of black people infiltrating that status quo would have been absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and meant the annihilation of that status quo. Um, so for many reasons it's not talked about Um, and also there's this kind of unfair shame that um, has been associated with it and actually I don't think there's any shame in that but you know shame is a very 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 effective tool at diminishing people and keeping people from expanding and fully exploring who they are genuinely as themselves and it inhibits one's ability to be genuine and truthful. I mean, there's concepts that seem so simple and innocuous are actually really destabilising to um, a society that has fixed ideas about race and power and where they belong and who they should belong to. Yeah.
1: Well, on the subject of that in that case tell me about the scene in which the two central characters first catch each other's eye, and there's a kind of, there's a kind of eye dance between them about whether or not they recognise or acknowledge each other because they're in a public arena in which exactly the thing that you've been talking about is coming into play. So for people who haven't seen the film, can you describe what's happening in that scene?
2: So um, these two childhood friends meet, bump into each other by accident, fate, um, in a hotel lobby that is, we're assuming, is whites only. Yep. And Irene goes in there to escape the awful
1: heat. Yeah, the taxi driver has said to her, it's the best place, it's yes. ventilated. And,
2: and she just wants to go and get tea. And now she occasionally passes when the situation arises. And she does in this. Occasion, and um, you can tell that it's there's a, it's quite tense for her. There's a fear that we're assuming is that she will be found out. Yeah. Um. Uh, and my character waltzes in and takes a seat, very much owning her own space confidently, very um, very distinct from yeah. Tessa Thompson's Irene. And the camera. We find the camera slowly moving up her body, Claire Kendry's body, to her eyes. And it's just this face that is staring directly at her. And we feel the unease that Irene feels Mm -hmm. because she's thinking, is she going to be found out? Now, that to me encapsulates beautifully um, the everyday quotidian trauma of passing is that that the tremendous um toll it would take on on one's psyche yeah. of the terror of being found out and then the absurdity of being found out to be what? One's self? A black person. Was that so terrible? Apparently so. Yeah. And so there's this kind of standoff and Claire does not relent. And Claire is sort of like A lighthouse. That when that gate, when that light is on you, it's quite Mm -hmm. disarming and startling. And she's aware of that power, and I think she uses that to both unsettle and attract. Um, And I think, to me, that is in that physicality and that kind of niching, that physical niching, and they're not; they haven't even touched yet. It's very indicative of who they are. and yeah. How comfortable they are with themselves. So, you haven't ever thought to? What? Have you ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? But you dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew? No,
1: oh, no, no, not at all. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about playing that. You referred to that lighthouse quality, which is a lovely, a lovely way of describing it. We see many scenes in which we see her in social environments, some of them hostile, some of them not. so. And every single person is drawn to... It's like a star quality. It's like um, you know, she lights up the room in mm. this peculiar way. Tell me about playing that, because mm. I, I have no idea how one would play... Because she is a star in, this, uh, yes. in, in that environment.
2: She's charismatic and how do you play charismatic? I don't know. <laughs> so what I I don't know what I I think you have to find another way in. I think you have to find what she finds charismatic. And she finds um her she finds I think she finds a change in the atmosphere of a place slightly addictive, you know, and that's the kind of danger to her. Yeah. You know, not only in Passing is dangerous that's that's the thing it's not a safe thing to do. It no, no. takes a lot of guts to do it and um and I feel that kind of flirtation with danger kind of exhilarates her in a way um, and she enjoys destabilizing situations and people and it's not necessarily in um in a way that decimates it's just that that's how she is yeah. that's, that's the effect that she has and and she enjoys that and she enjoys the effect that she has on people and I think that's part of her performance but it's also who she is as well Yeah. Um, and but how I don't know how you play that so I sort of concentrated on what where she finds joy and she finds joy in others and the interaction with others and and Joy in the fact that she, I think, when you integrate all the aspects of oneself—the ugliness and the attractiveness—and when that is integrated, I think it may it enables you to enjoy life much more. And there's there's just this sense of life coming off her and yeah. in sheets, really. Um, and but you really are relying. Long winded answer to your question. You really are relying on the other actors. Yeah. Because they have to create that charisma
1: for you. See, the sense that I got was of watching somebody doing a high wire act, doing something very, you know. But it and she she's asked, you know, I is, are you? Does it not scare you? And in fact, there's the scene when they're in the hotel room when her husband reveals, you know, his own hideous prejudices, and it's it is like watching somebody it's like watching a high wire, you think they're going to fall, but they don't, and the the more confident they are, the more they're not going to fall
2: Yes but also secrets are very hard to keep to yourself not in a, not talking about sort of a basic gossipy way, but we all need to be seen, and we all need to be seen truthfully. There really is that need, and there's a fear of it too, but we all need to be witnessed, and we, need to, we have a need to share our trials, our tribulations, and in a way, that scene is a confession to Irene, and it's letting her in and saying, this is my life, for good or bad. And I think it's a sharing thing. Yeah. And I think it's an invitation into her life because she wants someone to see her and see her vulner- vulnerability and her joy. But at the same time, you know, when she says, you know, she says something about passing being entirely worth the price, and you think, do you really believe that? And I think she does believe it in a way, but also she's she's coming to question it now because what it's cost her she's realising it might be too high a price yeah which is the severance of her physical self from her community yeah and the coming back this homecoming that happens is is filling that void that a sort of abominable void that you feel when you have when you feel you have to leave um somewhere you belong or feel there's a belonging or you know a nostalgia for um and this exile, I think, has become intolerable for her. And she comes home, and, and I think it's her thinking about that cost, and yeah. is it worth it? And, you know, the thrill that she is uh, has at coming home. And even that is sort of, you know, when she talks about missing Negroes and hearing them laugh, there's sort of an uncomfortable, patronizing tone. You know, she's not an easy person to like or love, but she's undeniable. Yeah. Um,
1: what about your director? Is she an easy person to like? I mean, obviously you have a very good relationship. You've worked for, Tell me about working with her on the film.
2: Well, I mean, the thing about Rebecca is she has that charisma, I mean, in the old-fashioned sense, where you would follow her into battle. The passion and the fire that was burning, so obviously in her eyes when she talked about it, I thought, yeah, absolutely, the only only of that vision definitely there's no better woman to make this and obviously it has like it feels a bit faded because of her background you know mm-hmm. and her attachment her his um her history her familial yeah. history um Although well, i
1: confess it weirdly enough i've interviewed her twice and i only found out yesterday what her history is it's really bizarre i feel yeah. like i should have known but i never knew anyway oh right fine right. okay that kind of makes sense but you're not
2: nosy enough <laughs> no, it just—it just,
1: it just hadn't, you know, hadn't occurred to me, and it never came up in the conversation. Right, but you right, know, so yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it's fascinating and interesting, and it feels so. It's—it's it's almost poetical, isn't it? I mean, it is kind of a poetic justice that she's making this film when you when you when you when you hear the full story, and she did um, uh, uh, finding your roots with uh, Professor Henry Louis Gates, Jr. Uh, which is the Who Do You Think You Are but in America? And it's, I mean, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. But um, I think, you know, I've I've watched Rebecca from afar for many years, both on stage and on screen, and she's always struck me as a deeply intelligent, but visceral actor. Um, and those two things are so, like, I don't know, incendiary. They delight me. And I knew that she would bring that same intensity and passion but vulnerability and kindness to this working relationship, and she very much did. And the benefits of being an actor was were, were very apparent. Okay. Um, in terms of because
1: she can talk to you in a way that directors that haven't acted can.
2: Well, you feel like you're not being mollycoddled, but you're not being patronised at the same time. You know, okay. and it's not side of sometimes. You sometimes occasionally you do feel like um, things are being. You're you're treated very much like a child, like, you know, being praised, you know, (laughs) and this kind of sort of wonder, you know, you're thinking, well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's craft and everything, but Jesus, I haven't, like, solved something, you know, extraordinary. And, but also, you're not, things aren't hidden from you, you know, as an actor, you're thinking, it's kind of, I'm feeling like I'm just a like a, I don't know, Molly Coddle child sometimes, she's very transparent about the way she works, about what she wants from you, and so there's a shorthand there you know, the politeness is eschewed, and there's a shorthand, but there's also major trust major trust, and that you know, it's amazing how many directors don't trust their actors, and you only find that out when you're working with you're thinking, wow, you're shouldn't you really kind of trust me to do this? Isn't that what this is based on? Um, and she gives you that trust and makes you feel safe. And when you feel safe as an actor, then the interesting okay. stuff can happen, you know?
1: Now, when you, when you say there are directors who don't trust you, um, no names, no pack drills. I haven't seen a film of yours in which I've thought that looks like it was, it was a hard experience with the director. Have you had bad experiences with making movies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say anything about any of that?
2: Yes, I had, I've had a particular experience that really um uh turned turned me a bit upside down, you know, because I've really felt manipulated into okay. a performance and I felt that was unfair. Um it was unnecessary and actually manipulation just it zips me right up. I mean I don't wanna yeah, yeah. I don't want to... It's a fair, Acting costs a lot if you really go there, you know. it's, it's Emotionally? Yes, physically, all of that. Um, and it's not that. It's kind of, you know, doing press costs because you're sharing. You're sharing your thoughts and your ideas and your feelings. And for people who are deeply shy and become actors, you became an actor so you wouldn't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was sort of a, a safe way... To express yourself, Um, but um, are you shy? Hmm?
1: Are you shy?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I was cripplingly shy
1: as a teenager. Okay, so but it is an interesting thing, therefore, to have done the, the the profession that you're in, because the obvious thing would be like if you're shy, it's it's facing the thing that worries you.
2: Yes, but that's but that I've yes, and that's extraordinary, I think, but. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing in life? We're supposed to be stretching ourselves. We're we're supposed to be facing our fears, aren't we? Isn't that kind of what, mm, kind of, sort of? mm, I don't know. Isn't that what we're supposed to be looking for? That to vibrate in some higher level, so we eventually burst into stars.
1: (laughs) Honestly, because our time is up. The thing that I think more is the longer I do this, the more I don't understand how actors manage to perform particularly in front of camp because I've been on movie sets and it's like war zones and I don't understand how anyone manages to produce a performance in those circumstances and I you know so I'm just I'm nothing but impressed to be honest but particularly if you you know if it's something that you're overcoming fears to do yeah but that also as a final point works very well with passing it kind of feeds into what you're doing in passing doesn't it
2: absolutely but you know that's um, I, 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 I don't know I feel, I feel very much as I get older, there's a certain synchronicity that I keep f- experiencing. And, you know, this film is all about identity, and I've been sort of grappling with that and my entire life. You know, I always have been other, felt othered, and deliberately othered myself, because it's sometimes where I feel safe as the yeah. outsider, you know, the misfit. That's... I don't know. That's where I'm drawn to those kind of stories for some reason. I don't know what it, I don't entirely understand it, but sometimes I don't feel I need to. But this film, in terms of identity and playing a woman who really claims herself for herself, at a cost, it is really it resonates with me and what I've gone through in my life and what I'm going through and about claiming yourself for yourself. And that's a really radical thing and for this to have been written in 1929 and been relevant and it's still relevant now I'm still processing that mm.
1: it's been a real pleasure thank you very much thank you Michael. <laughs> My thanks to Ruth Neger. I hope you're enjoying this come on film special, which is all about the new film, Passing. Next up, my conversation with director and writer Rebecca Hall. Rebecca, uh, it's a pleasure to see you again after the last time I interviewed you, which in my mind was very recently, but as you pointed out, it was probably over 10 years ago. Um, congratulations on the film. Tell me about how you first came to the text.
3: Sure. I, I read the book about um, 13 years ago. Um, I think it was 13 years ago. I ran into someone actually two nights ago who came to a screening who, someone I've not, I lost touch with, who used to be an ex-boyfriend's little brother who said, I read the first draft of the script in 2006. I was like, oh, okay, talk about time. Um, But I... It was was definitely a sort of... I came to it... um, Because someone handed it to me and said, I think you'll find this book interesting. It was a point...
1: Literally like that. They just thought, I think that you will find this interesting, without knowing anything about...
3: Oh, no, they knew. They knew, because I was about to say, it was a a moment in my life when I was being much more vocal socially about um, saying, well, I think my mother's, like, I think my mother's black or... Biracial or something on this spectrum, I don't really know i've never really had access to it, but you know it, it felt like something I hadn't really um been able to say during my adolescence, and I think in my early twenties, it became a point of shame that I wasn't right. you know sometimes you find yourself in rooms and everyone assumes looking at me that I'm you know I am how I look, this kind of English rose figure and have a tendency I had the to same make... thing in. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell. Um, You know, well, there's always people always make assumptions based on how everyone looks. This is just a fact of life. Um, It's a it's an inaccurate fact of life, but it's it is a fact of life. And I think I was a little bit, um, uh, you know, I got to a point where I was a little bit sick of it, so I started saying some things.
1: Yeah,
3: not much. I mean, it's hardly an act of rebellion, but it was the beginning of a journey that ends kind of now, really. Yeah, and. So this was a person who I'd mentioned this to and they just handed me the book and said I think you'll find it interesting. And uh, honestly at that moment I w- I wasn't able to say more than I think or this or that. Okay. And reading that book was sort of like a it was like a window into it was a window into an experience that I it was it was kind of a revelation mm-hmm. in the sense that it gave me historical context, it gave me language. And it also gave me this sense of, well, of course that's what my grandfather did. Of course that makes sense. That, that explains why my mother knows nothing about his family. That yeah. explains why all of this stuff is hidden. And, and, you know, it started me thinking about what the legacy of passing, racial passing in a family is. And, yeah. you know, it kind of, you know, is the fact that it gets, well, I think, you know, families protect if a parent says this is something we don't talk about you don't talk
1: about it and for for people who, who don't know because mm. i knew what passing was but i realized that i know what it is because of films and television programs and right, books like that's imitation it. Okay. of life and yeah. And
3: all these things. yeah
1: but there i imagine that there are some members of the audience who don't know what passing oh, yeah. means yeah. so can you sum up essentially what passing is and was yeah. and why it existed
3: well, it re- it it refers specifically as it pertains to race, and honestly, the word has grown to take it. You know, it's a it's a word that's used a lot in the queer community, yeah. even now, and you know, it's it's you know, it's, it it has a lot of connotations now. But it cropped up initially in America, sort of during Jim Crow era when you know one drop and everything was very was very immediate to everyone, mm-hmm. um, and there were. People who were light skinned enough, sometimes not even that light skinned enough, yeah. you know, to to cross the color line, and and essentially tie break all ties with their family and their community and live an entirely different life as as white. Yeah. And it wasn't always as white. I also hasten to add. I think you know, there's an assumption that when we talk about passing, it just means that you're uh, black passing for white. It's not always the case. They often passed for you know, Spanish, sure. Italian, you know, Native American. My grandfather also passed for Native American, a bit indigenous, and because he was married to an indigenous woman before he met my grandmother. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty complicated.
1: Isn't she extraordinarily beautiful? I suppose.
3: Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out?
2: I do what I want more than anything right now I come up here to live With you You think they'd be satisfied being white?
1: Who's satisfied being anything?
2: We're all of us passing for something or other
1: Aren't we? Did you always know that you could direct this? Did you were you always confident about it? Because I have to say it is a very confidently directed film. But did you always know it was? Yeah. Because
3: I don't really know how to answer this. It's like when I-
1: so I'm asking you something that you've been asked a million times I'm sorry but
3: No, no, you haven't actually. It's just I I want to be entirely honest about it and it's and it's difficult to articulate because I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say I I finished I closed the book and I immediately opened my laptop.
1: Right.
3: Like halfway through reading the book I started seeing images in my head that are actually on the screen <laughs> 13 years later which is kind of a trip, but I, I don't, the whole process felt a bit like being possessed. I don't really know, it's like, it was very, I was really compelled to make this in a way that I've never felt before about anything. You know, I just like, I just just have to do this. And more than that, I was like, it has to be done this way.
1: Yeah, was it scary?
3: Of course, but I didn't allow myself that. I mean, of course it was. There were definitely the moments where I thought, "Fuck! I can't, what, what am I doing? I should stop this immediately. Like I'm out of my mind." I mean, when I when I finished the script, and I I honestly think that the only reason why I was how I managed to write the first draft of the script was because I talked myself into never making it. Right. You know, I was just like, this is just something I'm doing for me. Okay. This is personal, and this is something that I just need to get out of my system. Yeah, it's definitely going to be in black and white. Oh yeah, it's definitely going to be four three. Oh yeah, it's going to start with these feet. Oh yeah, it's going to have, <laughs> you know. But I'm never making it, so it's fine. Put it in a drawer. You know, and then I came back to it like six years and started later and started showing it to people, and I thought. I thought, yeah, OK, I thought that this could never be my first film. It's very formally ambitious. It's yeah. very, you know, it's very conceptual. It's got a very ambiguous, controversial subject matter. There's no resolution. It's in black and white. Uh, this is, You'd have to be tremendously arrogant, slash out of your mind to make this your first film. And then the older I got, I was like, but I know how to make this film. Like, yeah. why wouldn't it be my first film? Yeah. And actually, filmmaking is a tremendous act of arrogance. So I think the quicker that you like, realize that, the quicker you get on with it.
1: I think that never has there been a more honest word said than that is absolutely true that filmmaking is absolutely an act of arrogance. Um, Tell me about that you know four by three you know academy black and white mm-hmm. because it serves, it does two things firstly for me as a film critic it, you go okay well it, the, it takes you back to the period when you know cinema was academy mm-hmm. for me but it also the aesthetics of it being black and white does something really interesting to the story mm-hmm. so tell me about that aesthetic decision
3: yeah I mean both of those choices come out of come out of a sort of a thematic motive rather than a I mean, yes, it does reference something of the old and whatever, but i it was never my intention to make a museum piece, and nor did I, yeah. I wasn't particularly interested in nostalgia or anything like that. But it it, it you know, this story is about the absurdity of categories like we none of us can be reduced down to a single definition and yet we do it all the time you know we make this translation with our eye when we look at everyone we're like that person's black this person's white and this person's this and that person's this and you know none of it is is true this is all constructed and we invariably spill out of these containers and it just struck me that you know it was such an obvious irony that when you watch black and white film, there's a similar tra- process of translation happening with your eye. And actually, black and white isn't black and white, it's grey. Yeah. And this is about the grey areas. Yeah. So it forces that abstraction, it forces you to think about that, and it also forces you to confront the sort of absurdities inherent in that.
1: One <laughs> thing that's really interesting about it is that you, you've you lit the film in a, in a very, very precise way, that mm-hmm. there are certain scenes in which the lighting blanches things, yeah. and... So therefore, that whole sense about, you know, uh, colour discrimination almost ceases to exist within the frame of the film.
3: Exactly. That's exactly right. It's very deliberate.
1: <laughs> See, I'm great. <laughs> See, I'm a film critic and I saw that. And but I it's, also, it's also like it
3: allows a certain... It, it calls attention to the sort of slippery nature of these realities, um, in air quotes, you know, like that... Very deliberately in the beginning of the film, in that hotel room, it is, we're in, you know, we're in John's world, we're in the white racists' world, and so he has all the power in that room, and so almost deliberately the, the room is oppressively white, you mm-hmm. know, the sofa's white, the walls are white, there's a huge amount of light coming in from the side window, totally artificially, and so everyone is very, sort of, like, overexposed. Um, and then when Irene later goes into her house in Harlem, the the lighting state is completely different, and her face looks completely different. Yeah. Um, but also the black and white does allow, you know, within that abstraction, I think you accept this idea of of, of passing more readily. I think if it looks real. I think you're in danger of like allowing your audience to spend a lot of time going, oh yes, they look convincingly white, or they don't, there. Yeah, yeah. Or and I, I, think that's kind of a nonsense and a waste of time. Yeah. And it always felt more interesting for me to put the audience in the black perspective. obviously.
1: Yeah. I always remember seeing the film of the Human Stain and thinking, it, 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 I, what, what worked on the page does not work on the screen because they haven't found a way of solving that problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah
1: because it is a complicated
3: it know. is a complicated problem but you know in black and white there's already an abstraction and also if you you know the the thing I didn't I didn't want an audience to 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 comfortably feel oh yes now I'm looking at someone who looks white I'd much rather actually that they were always looking at someone who they identify as black yeah yeah and that and that felt crucial for me because that's the black perspective mm-hmm. i mean if you're if you're in a family If you're a black family and one of your family members crosses the colour line and chooses to live their life as white, you don't look at them and go, oh, they look white. You always see them as black. So they're always in danger. There's always a permanent threat. And that's the state I wanted the audience to to be in, watching these women.
1: Do you think there's any connection between the fact that that, what you've just said, and the fact that I know you're a fan of horror films, Mm. the thing about threat, danger, cinema of unease, do Mm -hmm. you think those Mm -hmm. things are connected
3: do I think what things are The fact
1: the that shock? you the, the story that you've that you've made with mm. passing mm-hmm. is a story about people in very dangerous situations, mm-hmm. which like that could be could go from being very civilized mm-hmm. to being brutally uncivilized. Mm-hmm. And you are also drawn to horror stories, yeah. which have a kind... There, yeah. you know, I know this isn't a horror film, but I'm saying that there is a thematic connection in that sort of dangerous area that you're interested in.
3: Yeah, I I do think there is a connection. I think I'm interested in in. In those sorts of tensions that are that turn on a dime, you know, when things because I feel that I feel that feels very human, you know, that we can you can be all more Vicker, and but still, there's this like horrible threat of imminent extinction underneath the surface of everything. I'm like, call me a little dark, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but it is that, and I think that the question of safety is is a really interesting one in relation to this film. And I, I, you know, it's something that I thought about a lot because, you know, the the sort of well, the great irony about it really is that, you know, that you have this one woman who is hiding her racial identity, and literally she has lines where she says, "I'm not safe," and it's sort of ambiguous as to whether she's saying, you know the way I'm living my life contains a seed of danger or I'm not safe because I'll do anything to get what yeah, I want, yeah. you know? And, but she's true to herself. You know, she's free. She's, she's performing something, but that performance allows her to, like, fully express herself. And that's kind of radical. Like, she is what she wants to be. Whereas yeah. what the movie's really, and the book it's really about is the one who's not hiding her racial identity, but is hiding everything else about herself. Yeah, And because of that repression because of that obsession with social performance and am I, am I good enough, am I right enough, am I the right kind of mother, am I the right kind of wife, am I the right kind of straight person, am I the right kind of all these, am I the right kind of member of the black community, all these things, she's actually a powder keg. She's mm. the one who's like viciously unsafe. And that does interest me, you know, that these people who are seemingly right and like the moral centers, that rigidity can sometimes be incredibly dangerous
1: we asked Ruth um, what it was like being directed by you and she said you know obviously fabulous experience but you know you're an actor she said you're a nightmare incidentally but you know but, but tell me a little bit about working with her as an actor from the director's point of view
3: well Ruth it was it was I mean they're, they're sort of Ruth and Tessa are actually a sort of similar in how they approach things like they both have they both have that sort of unique thing which i'm always interested in actors if like people who are able to have a sort of gut um a gut intuition about yeah. things but also a kind of intellectual involvement um and and an, you know and a an side that's an analytical and they both have those two things and i think that often is where the like the great talents are is like the people who can do both
1: yeah
3: because often it's too much of one but it was but it was so funny because they're playing you know, they're playing sort of antithetical sides of a coin or, you know, their similarities and differences or overlap. Yeah. But they were sort of... The approach as a director was kind of different for both. Okay. Very specifically. You know, it was very important for Ruth as Claire to feel completely free and kind of radical. Yeah. Exactly, because she's, she's this... She's this sort of spark of charisma that sets everyone going crazy. And she is, like, as a character, she is radical. Like, in the 20s, the idea that you could write about a, a black woman who just does whatever the hell she wants. Yeah. It's kind of radical. And so I wanted her to feel free to just be, enjoy herself.
1: I asked her how you play charisma and she said, well, it's very hard to, to explain, but she, she made the analogy of a lighthouse and the light going round and it shines on each person, and another person. And I mean, I've, you know, I once interviewed Shirley MacLaine and I have never known somebody fill a room as much as Shirley MacLaine. So for the whole 10 minutes I was in the room with her, it was... <laughs> it, it was exactly like that, but it is.
3: But it's the effect of those people on other people who aren't don't have access to that is so intense. You know, yeah. it can really be very destabilising. You know, you want to be in the sunshine all the time, and if if you, the sun if the light the light moves away, then you're like.
1: <laughs> but that's why those scenes are lovely. The scenes when you know when she is surrounded yeah. by people who are you know talking about it, but then the minute she's you know, and it's that whole amb. Mm the thing you said before, it's all about ambiguity. Mm-hmm. It's all about mm-hmm. the minute they're not looking, you're in big, but the minute they are, you're, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you kind mm-hmm. of, you know, you rise to it.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it sort of, it, it's a lot of different things and I, I, you know, what was I about to say? I don't know, I've lost my train of thought.
1: You were talking about directing the two, you said that yeah, they have with different Yeah, but Tessa, qualities. Tessa was
3: like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of overstate this. It's a fiendishly difficult ask, that role of Irene. Yeah. Because how on earth do you portray someone who is having a mental health breakdown and isn't even aware that they are and can't articulate anything? Because yeah. even if you could crack open Irene's head, it would all be lies, because she doesn't have any idea who <laughs> she is. So how, I mean, how are you in... And she's so constrained and so bound up and there's never any emotional release for her. Yeah. So like, whole, like trying to... Help Tessa with that just was we had to chart everything out so specifically like to try and find those moments where we could like have access to some sort of internal life or have access to her longing or her like even her desire for Claire and that an obsession, and that is so... It was just, it was very, like, it was very intricate actually thinking about all those moments. Yeah. Um, In a way that was, you know, with Ruth, it was just like, go to town. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and, I mean, what's extraordinary about Tessa is that she has a real, like, sensual involvement with a character. Like, she feels her way through it. Right. And that that came through no matter what. And that is really the key to it, because you see this... You see this sensual feeling yeah. person underneath all this, you know, this weight of her social
1: performance to the world. Yeah. Can I ask you the awful? We're in the awards corridor question. Oh yeah, go we're on. We're in the awards corridor. The whatever, awards whatever, corridor? whatever, whatever that <laughs> the landing strip, the air strip, whatever they're now calling it. How, does it matter? The or corridor? Does it, yeah, we, we need to sorry. How much does it matter?
3: I don't know. I don't know, I think it probably matters because representation does matter. So it would be nice to know that it would be nice if a film about that centres the emotional lives of two black women got that kind of attention, yeah. honestly. It would be really great.
1: <laughs> well, that was my conversation with Rebecca Hall and before that, Ruth Nager. Passing will be released in select cinemas in the UK from October the 29th and on Netflix from November the 10th. Hope you've enjoyed this Come Out on Film podcast. If you have, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, visit our Patreon page where there's loads of video extras, and remember, stay safe, keep watching the skies.
2: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.